Amen. Beautiful song, beautiful song. Let's take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter number 21. Revelation chapter number 21. And uh, looking forward to it, I had something on my mind over here I wanted to tell you, and by the time I walked from there to here, it left me. It's gone. I know that never happens to you, but, um, oh, it was important, too. Gearing back up, and Lord's Table, bus, what was the other thing? Who knows? I'm looking at two staff guys. They don't have a clue. Three staff guys. They don't have a clue. So I feel better. Anyway, um, I'm looking forward to getting it all back to normal. It'll come to me in the middle of my message, and then I'll mess everything up. I will tell you one thing. I'll, it's 726 back there. I'm planning on being done about 8. This, um, this COVID-19 and how we're having two services in the morning, that first service. How many come to the first service? Hold your hand up, all right? You put your hand up. How many come to the second service? Hold your hand up. How many don't come to any of them? Don't hold your hand up. But that first service, I mean, I start at 10 o'clock. I try to be done at 15 till. It don't happen very often. But even if I'm done at 10 till, I'm only preaching about 25, 30 minutes. The other day I preached 18 minutes. So I'll, you, you know, this is conditioning me to be a short preacher. If we come out of this mess and get back to normal, and any of you ever accuse me of being a long preacher, I'm going to bring in, uh, I'm going to bring somebody back from the dead that preached two hours. I know one guy, I remember my wife, Looked at me, and she it was almost going two hours. She said, look, I, I mean, he's good. I thank God for it. But she said, two hours. I mean, what did she say? She said, don't you think we can get her done before then? I mean, I actually sat in a sermon where a guy preached two hours. I agreed with her, but I was a little more spiritual than her. But <laughs> I'm not going to have you stand because I'm going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture. We'll begin reading at verse number 9. We're going to save the first part of chapter 21, Revelation, for next week. And we've been working. We're finally going to get to the part that you wanted to hear. We're, I think, seven sermons into this. This is part seven. And, uh, but the title was Our Journey Home. So I, and I intentionally spent time on our journey home because that's where we're at. Now, uh, I think we made it a few weeks ago. We're in heaven. We're kind of looking at tonight. We're going to look at the attraction, attractiveness of heaven. And um, verse 9, and by the way, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos was caught up in the uh, he's able to see all this, and God gave him visions. And there came unto me in verse 9, one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, this is, he this is the church, and we're now in heaven. Uh, chapter 3 of Revelation details all that. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. By the way, when I get on some of these subjects like the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, I'm giving you the best understanding that I have on it. And I want you to understand that you think you know what it means, and I promise you, you don't know either because I have not seen. So we're doing the best we can. So when I get into some of this, I'll be the first to tell you we're, we're speculating somewhat. So they're going to see this great city descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto the, a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear and crystal. And uh, had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel on the east and the east gate and on the east three gates on north three gates, south three gates and on the west three gates. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and, them in, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. It's the measuring stick. 
the city lieth four square. The length is as large as the breadth, and, and he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof in 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. Speaking of the shininess of it. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished. That word garnished is an English word from the Greek word that means cosmetic or to dress up or to make look beautiful. With all manner of precious stones, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth was an emerald, the fifth is, Sar- I can't pronounce all these, Sard- sardonyx, and the sixth is sardis, sardius, and the seventh is chrysolite, and the eighth is beryl, and the ninth is topaz, the tenth was chrysoprasus, and the eleventh was Janssen's, Janssen's, and the twelfth, uh, whatever that one is, beautiful, diamond, whatever, pretty. Uh, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. That's big. And the street of the city was pure gold as were as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon or to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nation of them... And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the last book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There should be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. I like Brother Pearson, the last song he sang. We'll see him face to face as he walked away. I said, I'm going to mention that in the last verses. We'll see his face. How many of y'all believe that? Say amen. And his name shall be in our forehead, in their foreheads. And there shall, better have the name of Christ in your forehead than the name of Antichrist, the number of Antichrist. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I like that. I'm going to talk about the attractiveness of heaven. Father, bless your word and challenge us, Lord. These are things that's going to be hard to describe humanly, but help us begin to understand the beauty of heaven and what is it that attracts us to heaven. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, somewhere beyond the reach of the most powerful telescope in the world is the place where God lives. How many of y'all believe that? The home of God. And that is the place that someday you and I are going to call home, and we need to familiarize ourselves somewhat with it. Paul called it the third heaven. He said this in 2 Corinthians 12, 1. Is it not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory? I will come to visions, revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. This is a spiritual moment for him. Such an one caught up to the third heaven 
And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which were not lawful for man to utter. Now, the apostle Paul was able to tell us about the rapture, about the resurrection, about heaven, about all these great truths of the Bible, not because he necessarily walked and talked with Jesus, because he was an apostle born out of due season. But he was able to tell us that because he was caught up into heaven and able to see some things. And some things, when he came back down, he was not able to tell us as human beings because it would be difficult for us to even understand. So I read that whole section of Scripture just to let you know that heaven's more beautiful than we could ever describe tonight. Isaiah called it the size of the north. And I think, in other words, no matter where you stand today on the planet, heaven is up. When Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for us, then he went somewhere. And when he left this, left, uh, this earth in Acts 1, the Bible says he went up. That's a direction. And so modern man has declared that since we cannot find the location of heaven, then therefore there must not exist that it's foolish logic for Christians, that is, especially when the Bible goes into great detail to tell us about the heaven's attractiveness. You and I, if the most powerful telescope cannot reach the third heaven, then why should we worry about heaven's location if the Bible always tells us that's where it's at? God sets in the size of the north. Now, there's so much of this tonight that's simply unexplainable, but I'm going to give you a few things about heaven that I believe that you and I are going to find attractive, okay? It's going to it's going to mean something to us. Number one, write this down. Number one, it's described as a great city. It's described as a great city in verses 8 and 9. So I'm going to show you where the, where the Lamb's wife is. He carried me in the spirit, the high mountain, and he said, I saw a great city, the Holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And that's a lot of words coming together. The, 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 the New Jerusalem, uh, a great city, uh, heaven, all that collectively. Here in verse number 8, one of the seven angels that had been busy in the book of Revelation doing all the destruction and all the plagues now takes the apostle John into this high mountain and shows him this city. Oh, what a beautiful place it was. It was a city of gold, pure gold. It was the home of, uh, of New Testament believers. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to settle on this tonight because after the millennium, everything kind of comes together. The people that saved during the millennial period and people that are born during the millennial period and, and the Jewish, Jewish, the Hebrew uh, believers and church and all that. But heaven, basically, the initial part of heaven is prepared for you and I, the bride of Christ. That's why there's an accent on this. But as, as heaven and earth comes together, new heaven, new earth, and the passage is all there that you and I talked about last week, there'll be movement back and forth. So I, I don't know that I understand all that, but that's what heaven's going to be like. And so uh, it's a wonderful place. It's described as a great Magos city. Number two, it is a shining city. In verse 11, we find that uh, her light was like a stone most precious, even like jasper, uh, clear as a crystal. If you ever uh, uh, take uh, your wife's diamond in to get it cleaned, you don't really know how dirty it is until they actually clean it in a a, a, a jewelry store and it just they'll just glisten you hold up they'll just glisten and i would say that uh, heaven is much more bright than that verse 23 says uh, the city had no need of the sun neither moon to shine in it for the glory of god did lighten it and the lamb was the light thereof also look at verse uh, chapter 22 verse 5 we find there's no night there they had no need, need a candle nor light of the sun the lord god giveth light and so when you get to heaven, 
it's going to be very bright and very shiny. Uh, sometimes, I, not often, but I've been around people that are dying. This has not happened a lot. I probably count on one hand. But a lot of times they'll talk about something shiny. And I know that some of you don't want to put a lot of stock on these things and because someone says, well, my, my loved one died and they didn't see that. Did they go? Okay, understand we don't know. So I don't like to put a lot of stock in that, but I have heard people say things like that. And, uh, and so I, I will tell you this, I don't know about you, but I don't like cloudy, gloomy days. I don't like uh, dirty cars. My car is white. I ran through the car wash. I got one of those little stickers where you just pull up there and the gate comes up and goes through. And, and I like, I like uh, 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 if a car is white, I like for it to look white, not tan. You know, if you got shiny wheels, make them shine. I do not like dimly lit rooms. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And you and I are drawn, should be as Christians, drawn to the light. We should be drawn to uh, good spiritual conversation and not gossip. We should be drawn to good thoughts and not evil thoughts <laughs> and pagan thoughts. That should be the way a Christian lives. The shiny things, the blue skies in life. And so uh, we sing, oh, the land of cloudless day, oh, the land of an unclouded day. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. That's what heaven's going to be like. No night there. All bright. The Lord lights it up. No need of the sun. And uh, so, uh, again, verse 18, a city of pure gold. And all that's going to be bouncing around off all that. Say, we're going to need our shades, our we're going to need our sunglasses. I don't think so. We'll be perfect up there. And you won't get cataracts and you won't need all that. Won't get a sunburn. Everything's going to be okay. Now, number three, it is a walled city with gates. Verses 12 through 14, a walled city of gates. Let me just mention a couple things about the walls. First of all, the wall is not there for our protection. Look at verse number eight in, the, uh, in chapter 21. This has all been taken care of and dealt with. But the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable and the murderers. And when I was a little boy, my mom would read that abominable. I thought it was the abominable snowman. Yeah. And murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. And all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So all this is taken care of. The wall is not there for our protection. Look at verse number 27. There shall no wise... 20, chapter 21, verse 27, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever that worketh an abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so um, this is all dealt with in, in the Lord's message, in Christ's message about Lazarus and the rich man. Remember the rich man said, there is a great gulf fix that I cannot pass. And when I get on that passage every now and then, I think it's in Luke 14 or somewhere there, Luke 16, I talk about the fact that they, our Catholic friends say there's a purgatory that you can pray people out of hell, pray them into heaven. Eh, you can't do that. And so, in fact, those that have been sent to hell's fire cannot ever come out of there. It has eternity as well. So, uh, you can't pass from one place to the other, the Bible declares. So, the walls are not there for our protection. But number two, the wall is there, I believe, for human appeal. It kind of sets the boundaries of heaven from space. But human appeal, first of all, here's what I mean. They're massive, like God. Uh, verse number 17 talks about the size, which is translated as about 216 feet tall. Most of you, your house is anywhere from 75 
200 feet tall depends on what part of your, or wide, I should say, depends on what part of your house your garage is. And so if you take your, your house and stand on its end, set another one on its end, you'll about be able to tell about how high those walls are. They're about 72 feet thick, according to the scriptures here. So they're massive, and kind of like God is a big God. Secondly, the Bible says they have 12 foundations named in honor of the 12 apostles. And I believe because of their suffering and their martyrdom and for spreading the gospel to the known world of their day. And then thirdly, verses 19 and 20 said the foundations of the walls are garnished with 12 precious stones. Again, I will not name those, but they tell me that these are very expensive stones. Some of you know a little bit about that. I'm not one of them. Could, could say just how beautiful that would be and how expensive that would be. And so as you walk into heaven, one of the things that's going to take you back is the largeness of its walls and the beauty of its foundations. And so the Bible has a lot to say about that and declare that. A fourth, uh, there are 12 gates named after the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're positioned, uh, uh, the Bible says here on verse 13, on the east three gates, north three gates, and so forth. They're positioned three in the north, three in the south. Uh, as a reminder that people inhabiting this, this great city entered through these gates. We tell stories and sing songs about entering the gates of heaven. I believe that you and I will literally enter into those gates. And there's angels there, not necessarily guarding the gates, but overseeing these gates. The Bible says in verse 25 that these gates never close because there's no night there. In a great city, the gates would close at night for protection purposes, but there's no night there, so the gates of the city never close. Now, let me just talk about that for just a minute. Not being any night, not being any crime, not being any sin. Could you imagine? We left our house tonight. We locked it up, double locked our doors. Our security cameras are on. Our security is on our house. We have outside lights for security. I grew up in Evans, West Virginia, where you slept with your doors open and your windows open. My, how things have changed. And uh, because we're concerned. And by the way, we live in a relatively safe city. How'd you like to live in LA, San Francisco? And uh, understand. So he said, well, I'd like to live in California. I live, live in San Francisco. The times that I've been in San Francisco, if you were able to afford a house, you'd probably live in it with two or three other families. Unless you were a millionaire, multimillionaire, and you lived up in those Cedar Hills. But nevertheless, no night there. And as you wind down, I don't know how you all do it at your house, but my wife and I will go home tonight. We'll have a little snacky. And we've got little places we'll go to and we'll sit there and just kind of wind down and then we scuff around and we close the blinds. We close the blinds before dark now in case someone wants to shoot through our windows. So maybe you all don't think like that, but I do. And uh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. But anyway, we're kind of weird like that. And uh, of course, you preach on things like I preach on. You close your blinds before night too. But, uh, and then you get ready for bed and the day ends. And you know, you always... You always kind of, uh, you're ready for bed, but you always hate to see the day in because there's always things you wanted to do. Maybe you're the kind of people that get your to-do list done all the time, and uh, chances are you're not. And so, uh, but in heaven, none of that happens. It's all day, no night there. And 
The Bible indicates in verses 25 through 26, though I can't, I can't uh, uh, explain all this, but there appears to be the, their commerce of the new earth and new heaven continues in some form or fashion. I will get to this probably next week, but I don't want you to think that when you die and go to heaven, you get your wings and you get your halo and you get your white gown and you're, you're floating around in some fluffy cloud and all you do is play that harp and, uh, and all you do is just hang out on that cloud. And we're not talking about 100 years here. We're talking about forever. You're sitting there saying, well, why would anybody want to go to heaven and sit on a cloud? Well, I'd rather sit on a cloud with my harp than burn in hell. But that's not what we're going to be. We're not going to be doing that. The Bible indicates there'll be some activity, be perfect activity. Those things that used to wear us out will not wear us out because of our perfect body. You'll never hit your, you'll never hit your thumb with a hammer driving a nail. I don't even know if you'll drive a nail, but if you want to drive a nail, drive all the nails you want to drive. I don't know what it's going to be like but it's going to be perfect there. So the Bible indicates there'll be some form of commerce that goes on some type of movement. The gates, the Bible says, are made of one big pearl. We always say the pearly gates, but the Bible says here, if I can find it uh, anyway, wherever it's at there, where's it at? What verse? Pearly gates. There it is, one pearl. Verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. Right after one writer that said, and I won't get this exactly right, but the pearl was made inside, is it the oyster? Oyster? Is that what it is, Mr. Pearson? I don't know why you're not the science person. You're teaching science. Oyster, right? They say they get a grain of sand in there, and they say that irritates them and begins to harden and harden and harden and harden, and you get this pearl. And a pure pearl, pearl is absolutely beautiful but they're not very big, about the size of the end of your little finger. Sometimes you might get a big one, but this is one pearl, one pearl. And uh, how beautiful that must be. And then, by the way, there was a street of gold, not streets. We say streets of gold, and I'll still say streets of gold because it's hard for me to imagine one street, but one big main street is of gold, transparent as glass. And so then, number four, write this down. And now we're going to get into a real sketchy area. It is a four-square city, verse 16. Four-square. Now, this is probably one of the most indescribable attractions of our new home. Just to get up there, I'm talking about things that's attract that'll be attractive to me. I don't know about you, but I want to see that street that's pure gold. I want to see that big pearl gate. I want to see those big walls and all of that. Those are things that I want to see. I want to see a, a city. As I'm coming in, this beautiful city of gold, the golden city. I want to see that. But the Bible says it's a city that's four square. Now, there was a Roman furlong and there was an English furlong. Both measurements were just a little different. In the translation from the Greek to English, it depends on if you follow the English translation, the Greek translation, the Bible refers to. Here's what you'll come up with, depending on if you go Greek, you go English. Suffice it to say that the city is between 1,300 and 1,500 miles square. That is from New York City to the Mississippi from east to west, Mississippi River, and from Lake Michigan to the Gulf of Mexico north and south. Square, you may be saying, well, that's not 
very big. Well, the Bible says that that's just, it's just as high as it is wide. So stack another 1,300, 1,500 miles on top of that. You're starting to get the picture? Uh, most say that's cubic. Um, some say it's a sphere. Uh, and that's not a stretch right there because when God talks about the earth, in the Old Testament, he talks about the four corners of the earth, and you and I know the earth is round. So it's not a stretch. Somebody said, well, how do you get the gates and how do you get four square? Well, you can have three gates in the north, three gates in the south, three gates in the north, east, three gates in the west. You can have all that. And um, I would just say this is just plain glorious. What a beautiful place heaven will be. It's a city, uh, if you write this down, number five, it's a city with no temple. There you go. Somebody's saying, finally, you don't have to go to church. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it will be church. That's where the bride's, where the church is. Hey, everybody's going to be at church. We have nearly 3,000 members on our membership roll. Now, I hope they all make it. I pray they all make it. I don't know where half of them are at. The FBI, I don't know where a lot of them is at, but I'm just saying. But one of these days, we're all going to be there. It is the bride. But the Bible says that the Lord and the Lamb are the temple. And the throne of God and the Lamb of God, verse 22, verse 3, chapter 23, verse 3, are the center of heaven. And so you'll know right where to go to see the Lord. And um, there's no need of church, no need of the temple. And it's a place of worship there and glory. Number six, number six, I only have seven, so we're getting there is a city with a tree-lined river, is a city with a tree-lined river. Again, don't know that I can describe this. There'll be a lot of uh, people that will talk a little bit about this, but let's look at verse number one. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, by the way, the river is clear as crystal, verse number 20, verse number one, either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded of fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I don't know that I can describe this. The Bible does use the word tree singular. And so let's say this river ran north and south in heaven, or maybe it came down from the top because, again, it's cubic or spheric. Then you've got a tree... On both sides, it could be trees, but probably one tree. And you've seen a tree, roots just keep moving, keep moving, but the tree of life. And, uh, but the river first, if I could talk about that, uh, Eden had a river, and so will heaven. So will paradise. I believe it's, uh, the Bible says it's pure and crystal clear. It is a picture of the living waters of salvation, I believe. And the tree of life was there. It could be multiple trees. It could be one big tree on one side and roots cross over somewhere and go down the other side. I don't know. But we can eat of the fruit of it, not because we have to eat the fruit of it, but we can uh, because it's there. And uh, remember, in Eden, there were two trees mentioned. There was the, uh, there's probably more than two, but two are mentioned, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, they could eat the tree of life all they wanted to. Somebody says, well, when they ate the tree of life, they would live forever because of the tree of life and all that. And I don't, the Bible doesn't indicate that. But our food gives us life, and they could eat the tree of life. And then you had the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which God forbid them 
to eat of that tree. And uh, I'm sure that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of life. I'm sure it was very satisfying. But they were forbidden to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they did, and they were immediately cursed. You all remember that story in Genesis chapter uh, 3. Now, uh, ch chapter 2. Now, I want you to notice a word right here. Look at verse number 3. And there shall be no more curse. You ought to underscore that. That's big. There should be no more curse in our new home. One day, evil will end. Evil is what plagues us to this day. Now, I mention this here because I believe this will be attractive to us. I believe the tree will be attractive. The crystal river will be attractive to us. But I believe what will be attractive, what will be very noticeable to us is the curse is gone. Now, let me explain something here. You and I, because we sprung from Adam, the Bible says, um, wherefore is by one man, Adam, wherefore is by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so then death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
It is, a, this, it is the city of God and Jesus. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 4. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Look at the last part of verse 3. For the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And there should be, verse 5, no night there, and there they need no, no need of candle. Neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth him light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Three quick thoughts here, and I'm finished. We shall finally see Jesus face to face. Literally. The most attractive part of heaven is seeing Jesus. Secondly, we'll be his servants. We'll finally get this right. By the way, while we're here on planet Earth, we should be serving God right here. Serving God. Getting ready for heaven. That's what heaven's going to be like. Uh, if you don't like serving God here, <laughs> heaven's going to be very awkward for you. If you don't like singing here, heaven's going to be awkward. Do you understand that that's just as natural in heaven as breathing? I remember Barney Fife, the story about good old 14A. Y'all remember that one? When they wouldn't let him sing because he couldn't sing, and they had the Mayberry Choir, and they were singing good old 14A, and and he was sour, and, he, and uh, they said, uh, Barney, you've got something wrong with your throat. And he said, uh, came back and said, oh, it's my uvula. The doctor said, all God's children got to do uvula. But in that, he said that, he said, could you stop a bird from singing? Could you stop a dove from cooing or whatever? He has, and by the way, it was natural. And that was a show on television. But can I say, when you get to heaven, all this stuff's going to be natural. Now, why isn't it here? In the book of Acts, the Bible said this, when the people got saved, legitimately saved, genuinely saved, they that gladly received his word were baptized. Do you understand that there are certain parts of the Christian life that's normal? We have strayed so far from those particular emotions of our faith that I wonder sometimes if we really even get it. I don't mean get, if we really get saved, but we really understand the preciousness of what Christ paid for there on Calvary. The people that got saved on Pentecost were excited. They were glad that they could follow Christ in baptism and understand that they, they sang praises there in the book of Acts as they were being beaten and persecuted. We can't get hardly a holy grump out of some people on Sunday mornings and then serving God. And I'm just going to say this right now. Ever since the coronavirus set in back in February, March, and the shutdown and all that, People, it, it's getting harder and harder to find people that will serve God, serve them in the nursery, serve them on the bus route, serve them in Sunday school, serve them in children's church. And when we get things fired back up, we're going to have to go ask people to serve the Lord again. We should not need to be asked. Because when we get to heaven, it's going to be part. Look what it says. It's, I'm not just whistling Dixie here. It says here in verse number, I probably wasn't politically correct. And uh, last part of verse three, and his servants shall serve him. That's you and I, servants of the Most High God. And so we'll see, finally see Jesus face to face. We'll serve him there. And here's the last part. We'll live there forever and ever. Why did the Bible say that twice? And they shall reign forever and ever. Your servanthood is not slavery. Your servanthood is in conjunction with who you belong to, and you will reign with him forever and ever if heaven is not a real place then you can forget the rest of the bible being truthful 
because the subject of heaven is woven throughout the Old and New Testament. When I was a young boy, I remember losing a friend. I was probably going into junior high, and uh, they were killed in a car wreck. And I remember, as I thought about that, I went to the funeral. It was a horrible funeral. But the preacher preached on heaven. I began, for the first time in my life, even though I was saved as a young boy, for the first time in my life, I began thinking about heaven, what heaven would be like. My mind immediately went to the streets of gold and uh, the mansion. Uh, he sang one of my favorite songs tonight as a hymn, Oh, What a Day That Will Be, When My Jesus I Shall See. Another favorite song is I've Got a Mansion Just Over the Hilltop. Another favorite song is Victory in Jesus. And I started thinking about those things. And I have dreams sometimes. I, and I don't know exactly. We kind of described the mansion last week, but I always thought, you know, for me... To get a screen door and a porch swing would be really, really good. You know, I like that. I don't know what it's going to be like. But um, the older I get, something changed in me. Most likely it's changed in you because more and more loved ones have passed away. They've gone to heaven. Friends and family. Times are much harder now. The older I get, the harder life gets. So my thinking has changed somewhat. This has made my relationship with my Savior much closer. By the way, if you're not walking closer with the Lord right now, since we've had the time to do that, you need to check yourself out and ask yourself why. These are special times of growth. And I really believe I'm, I'm teaching on heaven right now because our journey home, I believe, will end someday soon. We're closer than we've ever been. But my thinking has changed somewhat. I have more people in heaven. Times are harder. So when I think of heaven now, I think of seeing Jesus, what we just read about there. I think about seeing my loved ones, spending precious time with them. This is what makes heaven attractive to me. I know I talk a lot about my, my grandpa Turner. I have a grandpa Norris, a grandma Norris, a grandma Turner. My grandma Turner, her name was Edna. She was the perfect housewife. And she just, everything was always on the table. Everything was always, house was always clean. She always had everything. But I don't remember a lot that my grandma Turner said. My grandpa Turner poured his life into his grandkids. And to this day, I miss him. This day, I find myself doing things. I do things that my dad does. I do things that my mom. But to this day, I find myself doing things that my grandpa Turner taught me and how I think about people. And I'm going to tell you something right now. He died before I wanted him to die. We hadn't been married very long, just finished building our first house. And my grandpa Turner passed away. Of all the grandkids, I just, I just took it hard because I, I think I lived in the town that he lived in. The other ones lived away out of state. I just spent more time with him. But I will tell you this, I didn't get to spend enough time with him. And most likely, you've got a loved one that you didn't get to spend enough time with that you're going to miss. And I think while that mansion is, is explained and described the way it is, you've got that big old open area. And when you're not sitting down by the Crystal River, dangling your feet over in that clear, cool water, I think you'll be spending some time right there on those big old pillared porch. And then you'll slip inside and spend some time there. 
And we're just going to spend time talking with Jesus. Talking with, I want to see Elisha. I want to see Joseph. I want to see David. Those are some of my favorite Bible characters. I want to talk to James of the New Testament. And um, what a wonderful time that's going to be. This is what makes heaven attractive to me. How about you? What makes heaven attractive to you? Now, by the way, if you're sitting out there and saying, I just want to get there, preacher. I just, I just want to get there. As long as I get there, none of the rest of it matters. And that's fine. But that's a skin of your teeth, Christian. Saved so as yet by fire. What an awful way to go to heaven. If Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his precious blood for you, God's only begotten son, how in the world could we ever have this attitude? Just want to get there. We'll be doing all we can right now, setting things up for us when we do get there. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge of scripture regarding heaven. And I pray that we won't just put that out there as some beautiful place we're going to. May we decide here that we're going to lay up treasures there in heaven. Where moth and rust doth not corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Someday that vast treasure house will be opened up. And much of that will be laid back at the feet of Jesus, our crowns and different things. But there's no way that we could ever imagine how wonderful it's going to be. And to get up there and the curse be gone. Help us desire our heavenly home our heads are bowed our eyes are closed and no one's looking around let me ask this question i want you to say this today preacher i'm saved i know i'm saved i know i'm ready for heaven would you put your hand up real high i'm saved i know i'm going to heaven someday god bless you thank you put your hands down that's what that's what being saved is all about eternal life that's why we're going it's attractive maybe you could not lift your hand right there maybe you're not sure that heaven's your home they're going to play softly right here in just a moment we're going to sing a song and while we're singing, we want to invite you to come to Christ. There'll be somebody standing on the end of each aisle with a Bible in their hand. They'll take that Bible tonight and show you how you could be a born-again Christian. We just want you to come. Maybe there's something you want to come and thank God for. These men will move out of the way. You come on this altar and pray about that. Maybe someone you want to pray for, you come. Father, bless now this invitation. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. We're singing now. You come. Would you do that?